Well, good morning. Thank you, and thank you to the latecomers who tell, oh yeah, he's, yeah, I'm going to be rude if I don't say something. Good morning. It's great. Great to be with you. And we are, uh, uh, we're going to get into 1 Corinthians chapter 4, and what we're going to do as we get into this scripture I want to tell you is we're going to put even a little bit more bones to what we were just doing just there. We're going to talk about why, you know, just as we came to the the table, to communion, coming to Christ, uh, receiving his word into our lives, wanting to live out of that. This passage we're going to look at this morning is a passage of scripture that just invites us into this whole kind of new kind of life. It invites us into a whole new way of, of being human, really, and one that, that lives out of that space uh, of your identity in Christ. And so it's a great passage for us this morning. If you're new here, not new, usually even come to church, you're going to get a great look and actually an entirely different way of life that is opened up and offered to us uh, when we begin to follow Jesus. And so in Corinthians, if you haven't been here, this, is a, a, this was a letter originally uh, a Paul wrote to this church. It was a church where God had poured his spirit out. It was doing some pretty amazing things, but it was also a place that was kind of wild in lots of areas. One of the big problems that Paul's addressing in the beginning of this uh, letter to this church was division. They had all this conflict. They had, you know, people arguing and fighting and, and the ways they were relating to each other. Just, they were just kind of missing it. And Paul's going to try and write to them about how to, how to work through some of this. And so, uh, so if, 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 if you're a person who's ever experienced conflict with anyone else in your life, you probably never have uh, here. But this will be helpful. And, uh, and, and if, if you've ever kind of just wrestled with how do I really live out of some of those things we were just talking about. Um, you know, this, this gives a great framework, great understanding to it. So 1 Corinthians 4, I'm going to read this to you. And uh, it says this. Paul's writing, so there's all this fighting. I forgot to tell you, the, last, the, the first part of it as well was the, the, one of the big sources of conflict he's addressing is that there's people in the church who were really, some of them, if you are here last week, we touched on this, some of them who were really like, yep, I'm with Paul, this is great. I know Paul, like we're tight, I got his number in my phone, you know, we're friends online, and I'm with Paul. And other guys were like, nah, Paul, he's not so great. Apollos is where it's at. Paul's like, you know, he's just Facebook, and Apollos is like Instagram, and like just Paul's done. And so there's people who are really kind of tied to each one of them, and they're drawing a lot. And this is now Paul's going to address. He says, this is where all the conflicts come from, and he says this. He says, so this then is how people ought to regard us. He says, don't think about us like this. It's kind of some with him and some with him. And He says, don't think about us like that. He says, this is how you ought to regard us. To regard is how you think about something or someone. He says, this is how you ought to regard us. As servants of Christ and as those entrusted with the secret things of God. He says, now it's required that those who've been given a trust must prove faithful. And Paul says, I care very little if I'm judged by you or by any human court. Indeed, I do not even judge myself. My conscience is clear, but that does not make me innocent. It's the Lord who judges me. Therefore, judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait till the Lord comes. He says, look, don't try and, you know, figure out who's who and judge other people. He says, someday God's going to do all of that. And he says he will bring to light what's hidden in darkness. He'll expose the motives of people's hearts. And at that time, each will receive their praise from God. Verse 6, we're just going to read through to verse 7. He says, so now I've applied these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit. So he kind of says, look, I'm telling you how to think about me. I'm telling you how to think about Apollos. But I'm doing this so you'll also know how to think about you. And so you'll learn from us the meaning of the saying, don't go beyond what is written. Then you will not take pride in one man over against another. For who makes you different from anyone else? 
What do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as though you did not? So they got all this conflict. And what Paul's going to say is that the heart of this is really about how you, he says, it's about how you're seeing me, Paul. It's about how you're seeing me and Apollos. And it's also about how you see you. This is a, 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 a little, you know, chunk of scripture that really is all about our identity. It all starts with this idea. This is how you ought to regard us. This is how you should think of us. And he's saying it's also how you should think of you. This is your identity. This is about what do you think of? Maybe even ask yourself, what do you think of you? How do you see yourself? Paul says, here how you see. Here's how I know you're seeing me and Apollos. You think about us like, hey, this guy's really good. If I associate with him, I feel a little better about myself. If I associate with him, I feel a little better about myself. Paul says, this is how you should think of us. Now, the, the thing about this little passage, and I encourage you, there's a, a great little booklet on this chunk of scripture called The Freedom of Self-Forgetfulness. Uh, it's written by a guy named Tim Keller. You can read it in half an hour. It probably costs two bucks or something on Kindle. Honestly, one of the best things uh, you could read. It's a really powerful exposition on this chapter. But one of the things that Tim Keller in that talks about is he kind of points out for us, you know, this little chunk of scripture is trying to show us this is kind of what the human ego is like. This is what our sense of self and identity is like. It's sort of our default setting, if you will. And the default setting of the human identity is to try to do things that make us feel better about ourselves, whatever they may be. The default setting is we are all kind of built with the desire to be valuable, and so we try to construct an identity for ourselves that makes us feel more valuable in this world. Now, in, this, in, in the word Paul uses here, uh, and he talks about taking pride one over against another, he, he uses this word, a really specific word for pride there. Uh, it's not the normal one that usually gets used in, in Greek. He uses one that talks about uh, it's a, it gets translated in a lot of translations if you're reading puffed up. Let me hear you say puffed up. I heard everyone over here say it and no one over here. You guys are all like, sorry, dude, we're too cool. Oh, that's puffed up in its own way. So <laughs> just, bam, you're like, you're, we're with Dean, you know, we're with, no, just kidding. <laughs> that was terrible. You guys are even less with me now. <laughs> you're just like, for real. Anyway, all right. Some people are quiet. It's cool. Um. Here's the thing about being puffed up. It's Paul's where he says, you know what? The problem with this church, he says, the problem is you're puffed up. The problem is you're puffed up. Now, the word comes from what it's like to have a swollen, imagine like a swollen organ in here. Um, I'm not a doctor, so I don't know what organs are right here. But imagine one of them was all swollen. If you ever had that, it's swollen like your stomach. It's kind of puffing out. It's tender to the touch. It's kind of painful a little bit. It's puffed up. It's another, another picture. It's similar to kind of the, the idea of hot air filling a balloon. Paul says this is the problem is you guys are puffed up. And, and he says that this is kind of his picture of what he uses the words arrogance, pride, comparison, one over and against another. He says the real problem here where so much of your conflict comes from, where so much of the division, where so much of the pain that is in the missing of the life Christ has for you, it comes from this fact you're puffed up. In your view of yourself. See, what, what happens is we end up 
as human beings, we, we all go, oh, it's just the Corinthians. Not just the Corinthians. As human beings, we are always trying to puff ourselves up and do things that make us feel valuable about ourselves. The Corinthian church, then and there, they were going, you know, hey, yeah, I know Paul. I mean, what a cool thing to have in your life. Like, yeah, possible. You know, the guy, Damascus wrote, yeah, uh, I'm in a small group. Like, it's pretty cool. And, um, you know, we, we don't study the Bible. Like, he writes the Bible while we're there. It's just amazing. And... So, and honestly, that was way funnier than I got laughs for. <laughs> that just, I'm just telling you. Um, but, but here's the thing. I'm in quite a mood today. <laughs> so, um, he says, this, this is what they do. Now, we're all like, that's not me. You know, I don't. I mean, that, this almost feels a little ridiculous to our modern ears. Like, seriously, you guys are like, uh, they were building their identity around what, you know, sort of pastor they knew. Like, you're like, teen, I see you in the shops. If, if we don't make eye contact, I pretend I didn't, you know. I'm like, I just, you know, I don't want to associate. Like, that does not make me cooler or more valuable in this world. I, here's the thing. We all do this in a thousand ways all the time. We all look for things that if I associate with them, somehow that makes me more valuable. It's been happening. It was happening in the Corinthian church. It happens right through today. You know, one of my favorite shows is um, Seinfeld. Do we have any Seinfeld fans? Any, any, um, any, how many people, even if you're not a fan, you know who George Costanza is? How many, just give me a show of hands if you know Costanza. I mean, I know it's, it's, not, it's not on Netflix probably. But um, George Costanza is this really insecure guy. The whole show is about him. He's insecure, so he always does really silly things. He's very insecure. He's always trying to kind of prove his worth in the world. There's one episode where he's going to buy a new car. And he goes to buy this car. And he, he's done all his research. He's decided, I'm buying this 1989 Volvo. He read all the magazines. He read all the, the reports. And he's, this one holds its value. It, it doesn't break down. I know exactly what I want. And I'm not going to be persuaded in anything else. He gets there. He's looking at it. And the car salesman, oh, come look at this. Come look at this. No, no, this is what I want. And then the car salesman says, but I've got this convertible 1989 LeBaron that was owned by John Voight, the actor. Uh, how many people know who John Voight is? He's uh, the bad guy in Mission Impossible 1. And, um. He had more of a career than that, but there's probably some John Voight fan going, you boiled his career down to Mission Impossible 1. Oh, my goodness. But also, spoiler alert. Anyway. Um, so George is like, oh, I'd like to get that car. And he's like, as soon as he hears this belongs to an actor, like I could own John Voight's car, this famous Hollywood actor. And you kind of know that feeling. So like, man, that'd be cool. Tell everybody I've got John Voight's car. So he buys this car. He starts showing up at his friend Jerry's apartment. He's all puffed up. He's talking about, I got John Voight's car. He makes up a song about it. Are you turning the lights out on me? Or is it like, <laughs> I'm just up here going, like, I feel like, is that just, I don't know. Whoa, man, that's great. Okay, cool. Um, took a little offense to the puffed up thing, hey? So, <laughs> so George is all puffed up. He's so excited he's got this car. Now, uh, the thing is, and here's the thing, we all know what that's like. Oh, if I had this, you know, it kind of makes me feel a little cooler. Now, here's the thing. Here's the problem with what happens when we build our identity on anything like this. Here's the problem with what happens when we build our identity, be it on the people we know, are associated with, our achievements, the things we possess. Here's the problem with it all. We're going to have a look at, here's George. He's all puffed up. I got a little clip for you. And uh, he's all puffed up. He's riding in the car with Jerry, top down, John Boyd's car. And just have a quick look at this, and we'll see. So, come on, put the top up. It's November. <laughs> I feel alive, Jerry. Let's check out the glove box. Uh, pencil. Hey, you don't think 
Sure, that's John Voight's pencil. John Voight's teeth marks. <laughs> Owner's manual. You know what? This car was owned by John Voight. Ah, you see? I told you. Except John is spelled with an H. <laughs> J-O-H-N. Doesn't John Voight spell his name J-O-N? What do you say? Nothing. I'm sure John probably misspelled his own name. I know sometimes I spell Jerry with a G. And an I. <laughs> get out of the car! That's right, you hired me. Get out. You are ruining this whole experience for me. Oh, look. There's Gregory Peck's bicycle. Get out! <laughs> Barbara Mandrell's skateboard. Get out! <laughs> See, here's what happens. Whenever you get puffed up by something, association, who you're with, what, what, you, you know, what you achieve, all it takes is for one thing to come along. And when you're all puffed up, it's like a balloon just waiting to get popped. And all it took was, here it was, one second, he's all happy. He's all puffed up. He's all, man, this is so great. It's so good. Why? Because for a moment, he feels valuable. He's connected to someone who is full of influence and power and wealth and all this. And the second he finds out, nope, what has happened, he's realized, and, and he's realized effectively, what I just built my identity on was nothing. And all the air is let out. This experience is what happens consistently in life. This is why it's such a, a big deal to say, well, how do we begin to live out of an identity where we don't end up puffed up and we don't end up where all it takes is one little jab, one little piece of criticism. I thought I was doing so good and somebody said one negative thing about me and boom, psh, done. Or one little thing I felt I did wrong and I turned, the, the, I turned it on myself and thought, man, I thought I was doing so good. All of a sudden, boom, pop, deflated. Paul actually shows us how we live a life that does not end up puffed up, built on some kind of foundation and identity that, that we'll never sustain. Paul's going to help us see, here's, here's why it's such a big deal to live out of your identity in Christ. This puffed up thing, this, this kind of thing is what's at the root of so much conflict, Jerry and George. The second that happens, it's like, ah, I'm better, I'm laughing at you. I'm at, this is where conflict comes from. This is where internal conflict with yourself comes from, is when we... We, our, our, our self, our identity, it gets all puffed up, but it's actually painful and fragile and it doesn't take much, and boom, it's popped. But Paul had learned the secret of this. Paul actually, think about this about Paul for a minute. He was not arrogant, not puffed up, at least in this set of scriptures, and yet Paul didn't end up on the other side where he sort of just went, well, I don't want to, you know, think too highly of myself, so I better just sort of pull back. I'll be a bit of a shrinking, but I won't say much. I won't try and push too many buttons. Paul is bold in every way. Paul, at the end of this chapter of Scripture, will literally say to this church, imitate me. Can you imagine how bold you have to be to, to say, you know, to follow Christ? You know, we'd all be much more comfortable if Paul had said, imitate Christ. But Paul actually said, imitate me. He's so bold, and yet how is he able to do that from a not puffed up point of view? Because Paul had understood something really powerful about what it looks like to build your identity in Christ. 
And, and it starts for us in the beginning of this when he says, from, so here's how you should regard us. He says, here's how you should regard us. This is how I think about myself. This is Paul, he's saying, this is my sense of identity. This is how I view myself. This is what it's built on. He says, you should regard me and Apollos. And by extension, he's saying, and all of you should regard yourselves. This is how you should think about yourself. He says, you should regard us as, uh, as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Those who have been entrusted with the mysteries of God. Now, these two sides are saying this. Paul says, you know, this is who I am. Uh, you know why I don't get too puffed up, why I don't think too much of myself? Because I'm just a servant of Christ. I'm not doing my own thing. I'm not trying to build a life for myself through my connections and my, you know, associations and the things that I'm projecting or accomplishing. He says, I'm just very simply a servant of Christ. I live, I'm not really concerned about what I want or need because I'm concerned about what my master, Jesus, what he wants for my life. He says, I'm a servant. And then he says, not only should you, this is how you should think about me, is I'm, a, I'm just a servant of Christ. I'm just somebody, I'm a, just trying to do what Jesus tells me and asks me to do. He says, and, and that's how you should probably think about you. And he says, also as ones who are entrusted with the mysteries of God. Now what he's getting at here is he's saying, you know, the mysteries of God, it's not kind of, oh, this is, you know, secret special things only Paul knew or only Apollos knew. The mysteries of God is often used of God's plan to bring about salvation through Christ. And it's a bit of a mystery in the Old Testament. You don't see it real clearly, but it gets brought to light in Jesus. And you realize God's always been working this plan to redeem people and creation. And Paul says, so we're, I'm entrusted with that. And so I, I have no room to get kind of puffed up at all because I simply have been given something to take care of and to look after. God's entrusted and he's called me to teach and to preach and to proclaim and to do these things. You know, when you begin to see yourself as someone who is a servant of Christ and someone who has been entrusted, you begin to see yourself in a totally different light. Both of those things have in common, it's not about me. It's not about me. It's about him. The, 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 the real challenge getting puffed up, it's all about me. How do I look? How am I appearing? How am I, am I doing good? Am I doing bad? can go any direction, but at the end of the day, it's all about me. When you begin to see yourself as a servant and one entrusted, it changes everything. You know, I was just in uh, New York in January for a course I'm doing. When I go there, I stay with Martin Sanders, who was here for a month. I stay at his house, and one of the fun things about staying there is he has two cars. And so I get to drive one of his cars while I'm there. And one of the car, the car that I get to drive is a BMW. And it's probably one of the nicer cars I've ever driven. It was actually more or less a gift to him from some people. And, and when I'm there, he just lets me drive it. And he actually lets anyone drive it. And to be honest, if you drive past his house, he leaves his keys in it so you can drive it. And, um, <laughs> but, but here's the thing about it. Uh, I, I drive it, and so I go, I drive the class, and now it's a place, everybody's studying to be pastors, missionaries, you know, different things like this. Uh, it's not a place where you normally see in a lot of nice cars in the parking lot. And so I, if, several times I'll be walking out, and I'm walking with somebody, and we're chatting, and then they start to break towards their car, and I start to break towards mine. It's always like a BMW, you know? And, and I'm always like, you know, uh, now here's the thing. I love driving the car. It's fun. It's actually pretty fast. And, it, uh, and it's got good handles and it's got this convertible. So if it's summer even or, you know, even mildly warm, put the top down. It's fun. And, uh, and when someone says, oh, you're getting in there, you know what I don't do? I don't go, yeah, I am. Check out my BMW, you know. <laughs> Made some good choices in life, I suppose. <laughs> 
I don't know what you're doing with your life, but uh, I'm going to get in my BMW convertible now and have a nice drive. See ya. Wouldn't want to. Anyway, um, obviously I don't do that. Often I'm like, oh, you need to ride hop in. This will be fun, you know, and, and guys that enjoy going fries. You know what? And I just enjoy it. You know why? I don't, why would it be ridiculous for me to do that? Why does that thought literally never even enter my mind? I'm always like, I know. Can you believe this is really fun? This is really cool. I get to drive one here. It's so fun. And you know why? Because I'm incredibly conscious, obviously, that this is not my car. How could I boast about it? How could I be like, look at the great stuff I did. What, to have someone give it to me? Like to say you can, like that would be silly. This is what Paul's getting at at the end. Go to those verses, at the, at the, uh, verses 6 and 7 where he says, what do you have that you did not receive? And if you received it, then why do you boast as though you did not? Why are you getting all puffed up about you, about your gifts, about what you think you're so great at? Paul's like, what do you have? What do I have? What does any of us have that we did not receive? And the answer is, of course, nothing. It's all been entrusted to us. It's all his. It's not my car. It's not my gift. It's not my skill. It's not my abilities. It's all his. And he's entrusted it. And you know what that does when you wrap your mind around this whole idea of it being entrusted? Is you begin to be able to both enjoy the gifts you've been given without taking any pride in them at all. And you just go, wow, this is actually kind of fun. It's kind of fun to to, to do this, kind of fun to, you know, make the most of what God's given me, what he's entrusted because he says, you know, what, that, that it, what's going to matter is are you faithful with what you did? What's not going to matter is were you successful and did you achieve a lot of things and make yourself, did you look a certain way? No, were you faithful with what was entrusted to you? And Paul says, that's what I care about in my life. Here's the, the, the answer, one part of that answer to how do you not get all puffed up? How do you not have a fragile ego? How do you not be so fragile that all it takes is one person to make a comment about you and boom, all the air is let out and you feel like lashing out and saying, get out of the car. How do you not end up there? One, you begin to realize what, you know what? It was never about me anyway. I'm just a servant of Christ. I've just been entrusted with some things. Somebody makes a, a, a comment that maybe would have, you know, let all the air out of you at one point. You go, well, that's, I don't know, maybe there's something I can learn from there. I'm not perfect. I'm just a servant of Christ. Just trying to be faithful with us been entrusted. But here's, and here's really powerful. This is really, the picture Paul gives us for you. You know, if you're going, how do I take this into Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday? How do I actually live like this on a daily basis? Because what most of us would know, whether we want to admit it or not, is that on a daily basis, we wrestle with these things. Like, it's not a one and done. Oh, I worked out my identity. Now I never get offended. I never get puffed up. I never get deflated. No, 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 no. We have to constantly work out how do we live in this space where, like Paul, serving a Christ. I'm entrusted by Christ. Paul shifts his picture, and he's going to talk about this courtroom. And, and, and watch what he says here. He says, you know, uh, he says, go back, actually. We're going to go back to 6 and 7. We're just going to hang there for a couple more minutes. Um, actually, 3 to 5. He says, I care very little. If I am judged by you or by any human court, indeed, I do not even judge myself. My conscience is clear, but that does not make me innocent. It's the Lord who judges me. Now, think about this for a moment, this courtroom picture that he's painting. Now, the word he's using for judges here, it's, uh, it's kind of speaking to the whole idea of a verdict. And 
what Paul's kind of saying is, look, he, he's, he's going, look, I know, what, I know what you say about me in this church. He's like, I know there's some of you who just think I'm awesome, who are like, I'm with Paul. I know there's a bunch that are just like, you know, you're, you're in my fan club. You're on my side. You're, you're dropping my name at parties just to be known. But I know there's people like that. And he says, and I also know, and he says this throughout the, he says, I also know there's another group of people who are going, yeah, Paul writes big in his letters, but really not very impressive in person. Not much to him. It's literally what they were saying. You see him in person, there's nothing to him. He just talks big. Talks big in his letters. Paul knows that there's some who are criticizing him. So he knows that on one hand, there's all these people who are like, you're so great. And he knows on the other hand, there's a bunch of people going, you're not great at all. He knows criticism and he knows praise. And he says, you know what? I care very little if I'm judged by you. I actually care very little about your verdict on my life. I care very little whether you think I'm great. I care very little if you think I'm not so great. Now, why is it so important? Because do you realize this? We all end up living, you know, we use it in, with public figures. We use it the court of public opinion. In most of our lives, it takes a, a bunch of different forms. It's how, many, uh, it's how many, you know, likes to a post or shares on a picture. It's how people are talking about us or where we're invited or not invited. We, we have all these things that we end up looking and going, or we have the things people say to us, sometimes praise, sometimes criticism. And, and we have all these things that come that it, it is just, and maybe it's never been harder in history because there's never been more uh, sort of, constant feedback on everything you know we review everything we critique everything it all show so we all end up living in a bit of this courtroom where it's like constantly we feel like there's a verdict coming on my life worthwhile not worthwhile good bad no yeah you are okay did you know and Paul says look here's here's the deal here's you just have to go I care very little about the verdicts of others. And that is a whole lot easier said than done. But we'll see what, because here's what often happens. Now some of us, and this, this kind of is the, the default in our culture today is to go, that's right, it doesn't matter what anyone thinks of you. It only matters what you think of you. Don't worry about what they say. Don't worry about, you know, the public opinion. Don't worry what your friends, don't, the only thing that matters is what you think of you. That's what matters. Follow your heart. Be true to yourself. We hear this constantly, constantly, constantly. The Bible says, no, 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 no. That is not the path to life. To think that, yeah, what I think, you know what, what does Paul say? He says, I care very little about your verdict for me. And not only that, this is what's totally different and revolutionary. He says, not only that, I don't care what I think of me. Paul says, I care very little if I'm judged by you. I don't even judge myself, he says. Can I tell you something? It is freeing and life-giving to realize you don't have to judge yourself. You don't have to be critical of yourself, and you don't have to bother trying to pump yourself up. Paul says, I don't care what their verdict is. I don't even care what I think. He says, I only care what God thinks. He says, this is, and go back to the verses, just read this one more time in 3 and 4. He says, I don't even judge myself. I don't even give myself a verdict. I, my conscience is clear. He's like, so to the, you know, this isn't sort of like, yeah, well, whatever, I do whatever. He says, no, my conscience is clear. To the best of my ability, like I'm, I'm trying to live in the light and as God wants, but that doesn't make me innocent. He said, it's the Lord. It's only the Lord who can give a verdict on my life. It's only God who can, uh, as Tupac said, only God can judge me now. You know, it's just... Only, he says, only 
Only God. Only God. And this is the key to actually living in a place where you don't get puffed up and you don't get deflated is to be able to embrace this reality that actually I'm only going to live in the verdict that God has for my life. I'm going to choose to say, I'm, this is who God says I am. And you know, Paul, what he's over and over, he talks about, I actually died to myself. You know why he's not even judging? He says, I died to myself. Forget that whole self thing altogether. And for me to live now is Christ. Paul says, you know what, when we come to know Christ, his spirit is given to us. And his spirit witnesses that we are children of God, that we are loved by him. All those words we sung in that song, I am chosen, not forsaken. We are forgiven. We are loved. Paul says, you've got to live in that verdict over your life. It's not about you. It's not about how good you are or how bad you are. It's about his verdict that says, in Christ, you are loved, you are forgiven, you're made whole in him. You know, this week, as you go into your week, and maybe, you know, this morning as you were singing, I'm going to invite the band up. We're going to just, we're just going to close here in just a minute. But as you go into your week, can I encourage you to, to, to wrestle with this reality? That on a daily basis, you will be constantly uh, engaged with feeling a sense of others putting a verdict on your life. You will likely be engaged in often others, a sense of your own verdict on your life. But to be willing to say to God, Lord, would you help me to see those things for the lies that they are and to live in your verdict on my life? And when you can do that, you actually get to live with this freedom and joy. Ah, oh, I'm a servant anyway. It's all, uh, anything that, it's all been entrusted to me. Lord, anything, you know, let me just live in that freedom. It's not about me. And we already know uh, the verdict on our life. It was settled at the cross, the body, the blood poured out for you. And we live out of that. That's a whole different way of living. It's different than anything you find anywhere else. It's the life that Christ offers us. I want to pray for you this morning. In fact, would you stand up? I know many of you have been been leaning into this today. And I just want to pray one last time that his voice would be loudest in your life. And if for you today, that's something that you just know, I want to live more in this space this week. I want to live in his verdict over my life. I want to live in the freedom and the joy that comes with that. I encourage you just to open up your hands as I pray even now. Lord, we stand here. And we know that it is your voice that matters most. It is your verdict on our lives. Lord, we don't want to be a puffed up people. We don't want to be constantly having to try to manage our own self of identity. We want to live in the freedom that comes from having our identity in Christ living out of that foundation. And Lord, for every person who stands here just saying, I just wanna, I wanna hear God's voice. I wanna be a person who can care very little what others think. I wanna be a person who doesn't even give a verdict on themselves, but who just lives in the freedom of what you said. Lord, I pray that even today, you pour out a greater measure of your spirit and fullness in their life and capacity to hear your voice, that it would drown out all other voices. Lord, when they're tempted to give in to the verdict of, of those around them, I pray that, Lord, you'd alert them to it. You'd help them to see that moment. Lord, when they're tempted to place a verdict on themselves that is not of you, I pray you'd alert them to that moment. You'd stop them in their tracks and you'd remind them of, their, of your love. 
Lord, I pray we just become such a joyful, free people as we live out this incredible truth of who we are in you. Lord, make it real. Make it reality in our lives this week, we ask. In Jesus' name. And everybody said...